So that's kind of why, you know, years ago, the government said, we need to do something that makes us unique. We need to bring business in because we are a small island. We don't have a lot of natural resources. We depend upon other people. And, you know, they did a lot with, I know there's a lot of the tech sectors down there. Hi, this is Anita from the Dusty Roads podcast where it's all about living your life as a global citizen. In this podcast and in our blog, we believe that we should all live our life as a global citizen. And that doesn't mean you have to travel and you have to go around the world. In fact, today you can virtually go to so many places. My mother is pretty much homebound. But the other day, my sister who had lived in Germany, we got talking about where she lived in Germany. I said, let's go on to Google Maps. Let's check it out. Went on to Google Maps 3D view and we went all over the world in an afternoon. We were in Germany. We were in Vietnam. We were in Sweden. Yesterday, we were in London. You know, so... Really, living your life as a global citizen is not about that you really have to travel because there may be some of you out there who are listening that are, for whatever reason, aren't able to travel. But you can still live your life as a global citizen without having to travel. So that's kind of a lot of what this podcast is about. So today we're going to go to a country called Singapore. And those of you that don't know Singapore, Singapore is really quite an interesting and dynamic place. And we're going to sort of answer the question, is Singapore socialist or capitalist country? And this actually is a question that a lot of people ask online. It seems like they feel like it's either either or. A country is either socialist or it's capitalist. Where the truth is, most countries have a mixed economy, including the United States. So here's a few things about Singapore that maybe you did not know about and hopefully will give you a better appreciation for this wonderful island state. I have been to Singapore a couple times. You know, it's a lovely place, a great mixed economy between a lot of different type of cultures and people. It really is a fascinating place to visit if you're able to go there. But Singapore is considered to be number one in the world for freedom. It's considered a mixed economy, which means that it's both capitalist and socialist, but it's also considered to be number one in the world for freedom. And when they look at freedom, they look at a few things. This is with the Heritage Foundation. So, you know, there's different groups I know that sort of like rate things differently. And this one just happens to be from the Heritage Foundation. And some of you out there might say like, I don't know that, right? Why isn't America rated number one for freedom? You know, Maybe America should be. I don't know. But really, Singapore is rated number one because the rule of law, which includes property rights, judicial effectiveness, and government integrity, government size, which includes the tax burden, government spending, and fiscal health. And um, three is regulatory efficiency, which you know factors in business, labor, and monetary freedom, and open markets. Open markets include trade, investment, and financial freedom. So that is those things that they look at to say that Singapore is rated number one in the world as far as freedom. It is interesting to note here that on the same one by the the, uh, Heritage Foundation, America was rated 25th for freedom. So Singapore was recently rated number two after Hong Kong, but because of many of the problems in Hong Kong, um, that has now changed and Hong Kong has dropped down you know, in the ratings. But, you know, certainly other countries such as um, Switzerland, Ireland, New Zealand, Luxembourg, Taiwan, and Estonia all have quite high ratings. So 
then, then those are ratings before the United States. You know, this is surprising since the United States, like Singapore, is considered a mixed economic system. And America shows both, you know, capitalism and socialism. Yet Singapore consistently ranks higher than the United States for financial freedoms. And as we mentioned before, Singapore has a mixed economic system. You know, these ratings do not mean that Singapore is completely a capitalist country because there's really you know, no real two 100% capitalist countries in the world. Most countries are considered mixed. Even the United States is considered mixed. Having a mixed economy, and here's what the definition is, a mixed e- economic system is a system that combines aspects of both capitalism and socialism. A mixed economic system protects private property, allows a level of freedom in the use of capital, but also allows for governments to intervene in economic activities in order to achieve social aims. So that's basically what the definition is. You know, Singapore is also a relatively small country with just about 5 million people. So you think about that, that's like one major city in the United States. The island nation is so unique because it's very small landmass, but it also has few natural resources. So that's kind of why, you know, years ago, the government said, we need to do something that makes us unique. We need to bring business in because we are a small island. We don't have a lot of natural resources. We depend upon other people. And, you know, they did a lot with, I know there's a lot of the tech sectors down there. You know, Singapore has been really smart in the way that they have invested their economy. It was a British online magazine called Unheard that said this about Singapore and its land ownership. The Singaporean state owns 90% of the country's land. Remarkably, this level of ownership was not present from the beginning. In 1949, the state owned just 31% of the country's land. It got up to 90% land ownership decades of forced sales or what people in the U.S. call intimate domain. The Singaporean state does not merely own the land. They directly develop it, especially for residential purposes. Over 80% of Singapore's population lives in housing constructed by the country's public housing agency, HDB. So, you know, Singapore, you know, you know, they own a lot of land, but yet the people there have a great lifestyle because of the fact that they're living in some pretty nice apartments, which are owned by the state. Because the government owns so much land, because land is so valuable there because it's such a small amount of land. That means, you know, that means that Singapore cannot be a pure capitalist society. So it really is a country that has some aspects of socialism to it. They went on and said that there are state-owned enterprises, which are called government-linked companies. There are sovereign wealth funds, and that Singapore government owns a large share of 20 companies. Together, these companies make up 37% of the market capitalism of the Singapore stock market. So the government, you know, in Singapore is heavily involved in Singapore, but yet Singapore is ranked still number one for freedom, which is sort of interesting when you think about this. So this mix between capitalism and socialism does not mean there's a lack of freedom in Singapore. Quite the opposite is true. It means that because of it, these people are given quite a bit of freedom. A People's Policy Project talks about what they call the case of Singapore when they said, The case of Singapore raises an interesting question. What is it people care about when it comes to capitalism and socialism? Is capitalism primarily about market and private ownership? Relatedly, is socialism primarily about ending markets or promoting collective ownership? Often these things are bundled together, but they are logically and practically separable. Singapore and Norway, among others, 
show that it's quite possible to collectively own the means of production while also using price systems to assist in the allocation of productive factors. That is what market socialists have been saying for 100 years. So that's why it's sort of interesting to study Singapore because of the fact that Singapore is considered a very free country, that people there consider themselves have quite a bit of freedom. The lifestyle in Singapore is very good. If you've been to Singapore, it's an extremely clean city. The the um, you know people there there live a relatively good life. And yet at the same time, the government owns quite a bit. And this is very different than what we, you know, I guess there's a lot of, you know, me being an American will say that we believe, we believe that instead we should, you know, everyone, it should be all private ownership. So Singapore is kind of a case, a little bit of the opposite of what they call a country that has a lot of government ownership, but yet works and the people there live a relatively good life. You know, whether you agree or disagree with this, you know, I, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there going to say, like, I don't agree with this. This is wrong. You know, it should be pure capitalism. Yeah, I mean, there is a case for that, too. But at the same time, I think that it's important when you're living your life as a global citizen that you understand all the countries in the world and how they function and how they work and see the good in all of them. And Singapore, for me, is one of these cases of a country that has a lot of good. This is Anita from Dusty Roads Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to put a link to our, our blog about a Singapore capitalist country in our description in case you're interested in it. We'd like to be able to learn more about it. Thank you so much for listening and being part of our community. If you like it, give us a thumbs up. We'd love to have you subscribe. And also, we'd like to thank you, our listeners. We know without you, it's not possible. And we'd love to thank our team, specifically Rico, for helping to make this all possible. 